Thank you so much. Thank you, Max. It's wonderful. Couldn't be a better uh, introduction. I guarantee you mine will not sound as good as that one did, all right? Thank you, Max. Straight from God's Word, taking us to the passage we've read this morning. If you would, turn there to Ephesians chapter 4. If you're our guest this morning, either uh, here in the auditorium or join us online, we're in a series uh, bringing us to uh, combined worship services rather than our two to uh, focus together on this passage, Ephesians chapter 4, and thinking about what it means to be the church, not just to go to church, <laughs> but to be the church. And how many of us know there is a difference, all right? To be the church. And that is really the, the heart of the Apostle Paul in this great letter that you have in your Bible called Ephesians. It is about the church. And it's about the incredible miracle of the church. What God has done in our lives as individuals, bringing us to Him and then bringing us together to become His body, His bride, His assembly. Called out, called together. That's what the church is. And then Paul, as he is often wont to in his epistles, he turns from this incredible heavenly calling to bring us down to make sure we have an earthly walking to go along with it. So that we walk out this incredible Reality. It's not make-believe, it is who we are in Christ Jesus. But by faith, we must walk this out. And we do that, yes, with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but not a solitary relationship with Jesus, because we are sharing life together. That's what the church is. Body of believers worshiping the same God, sharing life together, living on mission. And so we're focusing here this August as we sort of begin this new ministry year, as we said, to remind us of our life together in unity, in purpose, in freedom, and in love. Now, if you look at your scriptures, you'll just remind you that we see that this life together is a life together in unity. It's a unity that the Lord has created. Verses 1 through 6, this life together in unity, there is an expression of this unity. How is this unity expressed? Not by asserting our rights, but submitting our rights in love for the betterment and best interest of others, just as Jesus did in lowliness, gentleness, humility. And we are, we are eager to maintain what the Lord has created. He's created the unity and the essence of that unity. We are to do all we can to maintain this unity. It's a real unity. Verses 4 through 6, do you remember? It's real. <laughs> there is one hope, one body, one spirit, one hope. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. By God the Father, purchased by His Son Jesus, and it is worked out by the Holy Spirit. 
This is a unity, right? This is a sincere unity. And we are to do what? Exercise this unity. Exercise this unity. Because this unity that we have as members, listen carefully, is a unity on a mission. The church exists because God has a mission. Missio Dei. That is the mission of God is that through Christ the nations might know Him and rejoice in Him. And we exist because of that mission and we exist for the mission. That's the reason we're here. To make Jesus known. Seeing disciples made in His name. Them following Him and baptism, identifying with Him, and living out on mission as well. This is what we're to do. <laughs> it's a unity for a mission. And we have to remember that, folks. We are, we are grateful that we have love for one another, but we're not here to be the love boat, okay? And I'm not the captain, whatever that captain's name was. I forget, okay? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Google it. Okay, it doesn't matter, all right? But... We have a mission. It is a mission to go, send, help others, to reach out in love, make an impact as Allison led us in prayer on this world, one life at a time. Because you see, if we're not careful, we can have a tendency to become what I call Dead Sea Saints. A few months ago, I saw, or the group from our church, the Dead Sea. Let me give you an update on it. It's still dead, okay? It's dead. For thousands of years, it's been receiving, receiving the Jordan River, receiving, receiving, but it has no outlet. And down there in that desert-like land, evaporation takes place. It is dead. It doesn't have an outlet. Same thing can happen to a Christian. We take in, we take in, we take in, but we don't give out. I thought recently of a lady that I counseled many, many years ago. My wife was involved in that as well. And she did have a true passion, I believe, for the Lord and a true passion for His Word. As a matter of fact, she loved journaling. She journaled and journaled. She journaled everything that she read in the Bible. She'd read books. She journaled that. And one time I asked her, she mentioned it so often, I said, could you just bring me some of the journals? And she brought me, I mean, journals, okay? And I, I looked through them, you know, and I asked her permission. And there were the scriptures, scriptures, and readings, and quotes, and scriptures. And I thought, great. But I said, I have an assignment for you. Before we can meet again, she said, okay. I said, you have to go down to the Knoxville Area Rescue Mission and volunteer in the kitchen. Or somehow, she looked at me. I said, that's your assignment. Now, thank you very much for coming in. Come back with your report on that, how that's gone, because I'm grateful. You've taken in, taken in. But you know <laughs> what I was saying in effect, but not quite so bluntly. You need to find and meet some people that got real problems. <laughs> and go serve them. I believe we never had another session of counseling. I think that's, I think, think that's true. Now, I, I'm using that as an example. 
We all know the importance, I believe, in journaling, Bible study, know the Word of God, be saturated with the Word of God. But it's not the hearer of the Word that is blessed. It is what? The doer of the Word. And that applies to us as a church. We're not here just to have fellowship. We have fellowship, koinonia, life together. But it is a fellowship for a mission. It should be, has to be outwardly focused, healthy ourselves, reaching out in that healthiness in Christ's name. So it's life together on purpose. And you know, the Lord seems to know what he's doing. Have you ever imagined that? <laughs> that if he wants something done, he gives the abilities by his spirit for it to be done. And he does that through gifts. He gives gifts. And we've looked at these gifts. Verse 7, he says, we're unified. We have this unity. One, 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 one. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That means God in his grace that has saved you has also in his grace by the Holy Spirit given you a gifting or giftings, abilities to serve in his name. That's a gift. And there's a, a diversity of these gifts. It's to each one. Each one. There's no such thing as a born-again believer who does not have some Ability from the Spirit as that person grows in grace in the Lord to serve in Jesus' name. If you're waiting for a call to the ministry, let me tell you, friend, your phone is ringing. You've been called. Pick it up. The Lord, will he's given this diversity of gifts, but he dispenses these gifts. Verses 8 through 10, beautiful passage from Psalm 68. The Lord is ascending. He's ascending to Mount Zion and he gives gifts. And our Lord Jesus ascended. He said, if I ascend, I will send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit coming upon us. Same fire, but individual flames upon us and within us. We all have different abilities. Gifting. There's a dispensing of these gifts by the Lord. Now, what are these gifts? He's speaking to the church. What are these gifts? And so here's the defining of these gifts. What are the gifts he specifically is talking about in the church? He says he gave, verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, we're looking at this passage. There's many other passages in the New Testament that give various listings of spiritual abilities and giftings. Uh, there are a number of them in Romans, a number of them in 1 Corinthians. But in this passage, as Paul speaking to the church, he's talking about people that have been gifted to build up the church so the church can do its ministry. It is 
people who are gifted, who are given to the church. So he says in verse 11, he has given to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the shepherd teachers, pastor teachers. Now there's two categories here, I want you to see very quickly. Two categories of these people who are gifts to the church, for the health of the church. There's the foundational gifts and there's the functioning gifts. The foundational gifts are the apostles and the prophets. The apostles and the prophets are the foundational gifts for the church. Look back at chapter 2. You're there in your Bible. Look at chapter 2, verse 20. Chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says that this household of God, verse 19, is built on the what? Foundation. The foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Jesus himself is the cornerstone. Now the foundation is laid once. There's the cornerstone, it's Christ. The foundation is laid of apostles and prophets. And the church, through the ages, is built on this foundation. Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. The apostles and the prophets with him being the foundation. So today, we don't have apostles and prophets in this sense. In sense of this role, they were gifts for the founding of the church. The, the apostles of Christ and those, their associates, that were inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak truth and to record truth. But now, we have, notice carefully, we have people who continue to build up the church on that foundation. There are people who have been gifted, called by God, to serve the church so that the church continues to be built up in various settings, various ages, various locations, but there's only one foundation, right? Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. We are built up on the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, that of the apostles and the prophets. Unshakable foundation, right? But... What are these gifts that are given to help the church function? They are functional gifts. Who are they? They are the evangelists. The evangelists. The, the evangelists means gospelers. <laughs> these are the gospelers. They are people who have been, by the Spirit of God, enabled with a great passion and ability to share the gospel. Especially to share the gospel where Jesus has not been named. They kind of break through the darkness. They're the first generation. They, they go into the places where Christ is not known. Whether that be countries or that be people groups. It could be even into a family. And they bring the good news and they have this calling and ability. A lot of Bible scholars would say this is the kind of gifting of a, a church planter. A, a church planter who goes out wherever or people joining him to break through that darkness. But eventually, as those people come to faith in Jesus, they need to be built up. 
build up. Now, we all are doing, we're all to be doing the work of evangelists. You understand that? We're all to be sharing the gospel. This is talking about people who are called to that ministry. But there are other people who come along behind the evangelists. They are who? Look at verse number 11. They are the shepherds' teachers. Now, this can be understood probably best, shepherd teachers or pastor teachers. Kind of a hyphenated word. It's not like necessarily you've got pastors and you've got teachers, you know. It's pastor teachers, shepherd teachers, because that is what the role of a shepherd, a pastor is, primarily to teach the word of God. What did Jesus say to Peter? Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter said later on when he was writing his epistle, he said, I say to you elders. He said, you make sure you shepherd the people of God. And that shepherding is done by teaching. Teaching what? New ideas. Teaching, you know, exciting Unique truths? No, there's no more exciting unique truth than the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. We're building on the apostles and the prophets. And pastor teachers have been given ability for that. That's their primary calling. They shepherd people primarily by teaching people. Whether they do that in a big setting or whether they do that in a medium-sized group or whether they do that in a small group, or whether you want to call it counseling. It is shepherding with the Word of God to see people grow. That's the gifting. Now notice here, this is not a position, the pastor. This is a people pastor's. It's not a position that makes disciples and grows the church. It's people. And notice, it's plural. There's not just one pastor who's the teacher. There's pastor teachers, shepherds, teachers. There are, there's a plurality of these. Now let me stop here for a moment to remind you. You may be new here. It's always good to be reminded whether you've been here for ages. We have over a number of years, been growing here in our understanding of the New Testament model of a plurality of pastors, a plurality of elders that under Christ, under the authority of the church, they take the responsibility for guiding the church, shepherding the church, a plurality of them. And we're blessed to have, uh, at this time, I think, 17 that are serving as the elders of the church. I'm one of them, but we have a, a number. And they're serving, using the Word of God in various areas. A plurality of pastors. But also notice, it's a plurality of pastor teachers. A plurality of pastor teachers. And so, for the last couple of summers, in particular, though we've regularly had people that have uh, taught other than me 
But in recent, last couple summers, we've taken time to have a team teaching. Someone teaching in this service, someone teaching, preaching in the other service. I'm grateful it has been very well received. People have understood same church, same elders, same doctrine, same passage. But someone who God is speaking through them, his truth, a little difference of application. It's been a wonderful experience. Now, I want you to know, for a number, long time, the elders have been discussing this. And starting the second Sunday of September, that team teaching approach is going to be carried forward. So what does that mean? That means that we're not going to stream me over to another building. Okay? It is actually going to be same passage of Scripture, same team but different teachers will be teaching. I will be doing most of that in, here in the auditorium. Every few weeks I'll be there in that service. But we're also going to have others that will be preaching God's word here. And preaching God's word over there. We're working together on the passage. How to apply it. We have the same oversight. And I think that it's going to be an incredible strengthening of our church as we continue to grow in a plurality of not just one, but many who are called and gifted to build up our church, to grow in shared leadership and grow in shared preaching I believe with all my heart, this is the season, the elders agree, for us to make this step. I think it is what we need to do for the season ahead. Now, I want to just step right in there. You say, where are you going, Sam? Well, in a few minutes, <clears throat> I'm going to Gondolier, all right? That's where I'm going, all right? But I'm, I'm not going anywhere, okay? That's not about that. I'm not setting up some big announcement, okay? I got a good thing going here, all right? And <laughs> this is for what's best for the body. And there's been, I want you to hear, unity among the elders about this. So what's the purpose of pastor teachers? Their gifts. So they can just say, hey, you see my gift? <laughs> My gift's bigger than your gift? I mean, what? You know, like, oh, look how shiny. No. What's the purpose? It's for the deploying of these gifts. It's for ministry. Look at verse 12. He gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers. Notice. To do what? Equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of of Christ. The pastor teachers are not to do all the work of the ministry. Of course, they are player coaches involved in the ministry. We got no elders or pastors around here sitting up in the skybox, all right? They're player coaches who are themselves involved in the ministry, but they're primarily, our primary responsibility is to equip you. To be involved in ministry as well. To build up the church. Many, many years ago, 
there was a contemporary coach out in Oklahoma of our coach, Coach Nealon here. His name was Coach Bud Wilkinson. And he gave, uh, I don't remember him, okay, I just want you to know, I, but I've read about him, okay, all right? D Doug remembers him, I don't remember him, okay? But <laughs> he gave the best definition of a football game I've ever heard. Here was Coach Wilkinson's definition of a football game. 50,000 people desperately needing exercise, watching 22 people desperately needing some rest. <laughs> Football game. Church. <laughs> it's not a spectator sport. So why does our Lord display... And deploy these gifts. What's it about? What's, what's he doing? Notice here. Four purposes for these pastor teachers as they carry out their ministry. So that what might be taking place among the people. Not, four things. Number one. That they might be equipped. Verse 12. That they might be equipped for the ministry. Equipped means to gear up. Gear up for missional service. We're all followers of Christ. We've all been called. But we need equipping. We need someone to give us the tools that we need to be more effective. This is exactly what pastors are, do, are to do. But it's the church is being equipped to go carry out ministry. Now... <laughs> I, many years ago, when I was a more bold pastor than I am now, okay. <laughs> Somebody said, I like seeing that. <laughs> it wasn't pretty. But I, you know, I wouldn't do it now. But many, many, many years ago, I don't know how long it was, I got the idea to bring a mirror. <laughs> what a tacky idea I had to bring a mirror to church. What a thought it was back then. And I was talking about, you know, lots of people, I kind of walked around. You know, can you imagine me doing this back then when I was such a young guy? I just walked around and said, you know, it, sometimes people say, you know, our church needs to do something about the poor. It, you know, our church really needs to do something about these marriages that are falling apart. I, you know, I know we're pro-life. What are we doing for those women? Who needs support? Church needs to do something about that. I know some folks that need some help with their mortgage. Church ought to do something about that. You know, folks around here in our community, they need to know we love them. They need to know that there's a gathering of people that love them. Our church needs to do something about that. You know, that was a tacky thing for me to do back then. I don't know what happened. You know, something came over me. Two things there. Number one, <laughs> might help you. You got the view I got up here. <laughs> okay, You get to see what I see. Kind of scary, isn't it? A little bit. No. <laughs> but now here's the positive of that. Listen carefully. 
you have to understand, if God has put something on your heart, what would you expect a call to be? What would you consider a prompting of the Lord to be? We are not an institution, and we cannot let ourselves become in, institutionalized. We are the church. You're the church. We gather to worship. We gather to focus on our Lord and for the ordinances. We gather to learn, but we scatter to be the church. Can you imagine how many tens of thousands of contacts are going to happen this week from just this group? It's not about West Park. It's not about any church. It's about our Lord Jesus Christ and His love. You are the church. Gear up for service. And also we are to be edified. That is build up for spiritual formation. Verse 12. To equip the saints for the, worship, the work of the ministry. For the building of the body of Christ. Notice until. How long are we going to do this? <laughs> no graduation. <laughs> until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What's this talking about? Spiritual formation. That we're to grow up in Christ. We're to grow up and be into manhood. And adulthood is the idea here. That we are truly His image bearers. That's the goal. This continues. He wants us to be, we're equipped. Pastor teachers help gear us up for missional service. Pastor teachers edify the church so they can be, the church can be built up for spiritual formation. Pastor teachers are responsible to enlighten so that people can grow up for doctrinal unity. <laughs> doctrinal unity, verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro and by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. How sad it is when someone has been a Christian 5, 10, 15, 20 years. But when it comes to their understanding of the truth and using that truth, they're like babies wearing floaties in a wave pool. Just bobbing up and down. Got this teacher. Oh, I love him. Got this. Oh, this is great. Read this. Bobbing up and down. Bob all over the place. That's not the goal. It's that we are equipped and enlightened Equipped and enlightened, they go together. Now let me stop here. This is the reason we have equipping classes here. Not just to give you information, but to give you, yes, biblical information and understanding how to use that skillfully in your life and the life of others. Enlightenment 
goes with this equipping. And folks, we just gotten these started. And I encourage you, get in one of these classes. Not just to say, you know, have a cup of coffee with my friends. That's fine. Have that. Enjoy that. But what am I going to do? What am I doing with my life? What's the purpose of all this? So that we can team up. Team up for mutual participation. Verse 15. Rather. We're not floating around like the little spiritual babies and with the floaties in the wave pool of the world. No. Rather, we're speaking the truth in love and we're growing up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. We team up for Mutual participation. Now notice. What are we doing with each other? Speaking the truth in love. Now I want you to understand something. You see that word speaking? Is that, you see it in your Bibles? It's not actually a word that's in the Greek text. It's put there because it's, it's understood. But literally, listen carefully. Paul created a word here. He just made it up. <laughs> he was wont to do that, okay? So, I have to. <laughs> just, just, it's spiritual, okay? It's scriptural. All right. Here's literally what it says. Here's literally verse 15. Rather, truthing in love. Truthing in love. We are to grow up. What's the difference? Truthing isn't just my words or your words. Truthing is the heart. Truthing is your character. Truthing is integrity and honesty. It's, it's, it's your life. It's a, it's a wrong thing to, to just tell people what they need to know. That can be very arrogant. Very condemning. But it's very different thing to say, you know... I so want to care for this person that as I'm following Christ, I, I want to help them. Let's follow him together. And sure, I may speak or write or whatever, but the reality is it's with integrity, truthing in love. And the result is what's happening when this is taking place? The whole body is joined together. It's helping together by every joint which is equipped. And each part is now working properly. We're all involved in this. And the body is growing. The, the church is growing. And it's just not growing larger. It's growing stronger, being built up in love. See this? Wow, what a... Vision. Growing up in Christ, in life together, in unity, in purpose. And what does this lead to? It leads to freedom, folks. Freedom that we share together. Freedom that we share together. Beginning here at verse, at this verse, in verse 17. I want you to see just for a couple of minutes here. Paul was a freedom fighter. 
He wants us to understand true freedom. Freedom in Christ. He's a champion of liberty. And Paul understood something. He understood where is the battle for freedom in a believer's life. The battle for freedom in a believer's life is in the thoughts. It's in the thoughts. The battle is fought in the thoughts. The battle is in the mind. You see what he says here? Don't be like the Gentiles who don't know God in the futility of their, what? Minds. Verse 20. But that is not how you learned Christ. You see, he's talking about the mind. The key to this worthy walk that we're talking about, life together, begins in the mind. What is it that the Bible says? The Bible tells us this. As a person thinks in his heart, in his mind, what? That's what he is. What you think will come out in your actions. As a man thinks, that's what he is. As a person thinks, that's what he is. My friends, never forget this. You may not be what you think you are, but what you think you are. You may not be what you think you are, but write it down. What you think, the grooves of your thinking, that's who you'll be. That's who you are. This section, believers are told to beware of something. What's Paul saying? Now, here's what can sidetrack this. You know what it is? An identity crisis. An identity crisis. Christians stop thinking about who they really are. Their mind is going back to who they used to be. They, they go back to thinking that leads to acting the way they used to be, but they need to know who they are. How many of us understand you can't be who you're supposed to be until you know who you are? And so what Paul does is he, he contrasts B.C., this is the way you used to think. With A.D., this is how you need to think now. Before Christ, this is thinking before Christ. This is thinking after Christ. And so what does he say? You've got to reject the darkness of before Christ thinking. You've got to reject that darkness of before Christ thinking. That is the kind of thinking that's there until Christ comes into a person's mind and being. What's this like? It's emptiness, futility. Notice verse 17. You must no longer walk. No longer means what? You used to walk this way. No longer walk the way the Gentiles, the unbelievers do, in the futility, the emptiness of their minds. The word here, futility, means it doesn't deliver what it promises. All of the wisdom of this world, listen carefully, all of the philosophy of this world doesn't deliver it doesn't deliver what it promises. One of the greatest intellects 
the Western world's ever known is a philosopher by the name of Plato. He lived in the 4th century B.C. Many of his writings are still studied today. But do you know what Plato said? About the limitations of his knowledge, he said this. Quote, perhaps one day there will come forth a word out of God who will reveal all things and make everything plain. Plato said, perhaps one day there will come forth a, listen, logos out of God who will reveal all things and make everything plain. I want to tell you that Greek philosopher was a prophet and he didn't know it. Why? Because 400 years later, the Apostle John would write, in the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God. The Logos was God. The Logos was in the beginning with God. The Logos has made all things, and without Him, nothing has been made that has been made. And the Logos, His life, And the Logos is the life that is the light of men. And this light of the Logos has shined in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The Logos has become flesh and has dwelled among us. And we have beheld His glory. The glory as of the one and only Son of God. That is truth. The Word has come. The reality has come. The messenger has come. It's Jesus Christ. And when He is rejected, when the light is rejected, what happens? Well, listen to what Jesus said to Nicodemus. John three nineteen. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world. And people have loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. What's he saying? It's not that people can't see the testimony of the Logos. It's not that people cannot see the glory of God in the creation. It's not that they cannot sense God's glory in their own creation, in His image. It's not... That God's not speaking. He's speaking. It is that in our sinfulness, we don't want to hear. We want to do what we want to do. And because we want to do what we want to do, we give doctorates in it. We teach it. And the wisdom of this world becomes foolishness. It's futile. It's futile. It's empty. But it doesn't stop with just emptiness. Light rejected brings hardness. Verse 18. They're darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance. That's the willful ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of their heart. The word hardness here is poros. It means granite. (laughs) I will not receive this 
revelation of the Logos. I will not receive this revelation of God in Christ. Therefore, hardness, darkness, light rejected brings more darkness. Never forget that. You come to church, you hear the truth, you don't accept it, you're going right out that door, one of these doors, with greater darkness in your heart. But you step into the light that God gives you, and He'll give you more light. And that hardness brings deadness. Listen, apart from God, it's not evolution. Up, up, up. It's devolution. Emptiness, hardness, darkness. Verse 19, deadness. They have become callous. They've given themselves over to sensuality. This word sensuality means vice that throws off restraint. Just throw off all restraint. Do what you want to do. That's sensuality. They are greedy. They are hungry to go after every kind of wickedness and immorality. This is what happens when we turn away from God. We go into greater darkness. Our hearts get hardened and deeper into darkness. And then deadness comes so we can't even hear the truth anymore. We don't even know the truth. This is what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 1. Starting the second Sunday in September, we'll be doing a series through Romans. But he starts with the bad news. This is what is the condition. Friends, listen. Why do you want to figure out life by going to people who are in the dark? Who are you reading? Who guides your steps? Who is your counselor? Who do you get advice from? How do you figure out true north in this crazy world of misty darkness? Untold Christians have become so enamored with the things of this world. Let's put away those childish things. Let me tell you something. A three-year-old back here in our Sunday school knows more than someone with ten PhDs who hasn't bowed the knees to Jesus. They figured out by God's grace, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You can live to be 150, you'll never know a greater truth than that. That's the truth that sets you free. That's the truth that makes us one. Oh, friend, remember who brought the light. Are you in the light? Remember who brought you into the light. 2 Corinthians 3, God who caused the light to shine in the darkness has shined into our hearts, bringing the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where do you see the glory of God? In the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. Christ is all. Oh Lord, bless us now. Help us as we 
do not want your spirit's truth and what you've deposited for us today to slip away. Oh, Lord, now let the glory be to the name of Christ. Help us, Lord, to share life together. Help us not to leave the light that we've received. Oh, Lord, but make us light because we are light in Christ. We bless you in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen.